So here we are, the third Sunday in Advent, and um, it's always such a special, meaningful time. The weeks leading up to Christmas can be so full, can't they? Sometimes almost too full. And while most of it has good reason, like being with family and friends and exchanging gifts, making memories with your children, still a lot of it can just clutter our minds and dull our senses to what's really important. We have that old slogan, right? The reason for the season. How cheesy is that? But there's some truth to that because if we forget the reason, we have to really ask ourselves, why do we celebrate? In the middle of all the hustle and bustle, Amazon shopping carts full of loot, Mannheim steamroller on your playlist, giant inflatables on your lawn. I don't want to go in there. I, my neighborhood's got so many inflatables, I feel like it's an episode of Up. I feel like we would just, <laughs> the balloons are going to take our neighborhood right up out of the... Wow, so many. My grandkids love it when they drive in the neighborhood, but I'm scared. Uh, so we have so many of these things happening, scented candles and peppermint mochas and sugared cookies and Martha Stewart decorations. It might be good for us to just have a bit of an intervention. Just someone shock us back into what this really means. Maybe we could all have an Ebenezer Scrooge moment where we're reminded of the exact setting and the true meaning of the birth of Christ. A writer, John Bloom, who has been very inspirational in my preparation of this message, he suggests that Luke, the writer of the gospel of Luke, can help us as a kind of ghost of Christmas past. Holy ghost, of course. And he can help us, encourage us to lay aside all of the, the trimmings and the traditions and travel back with him to a small Palestinian village on an unusually starry night. The village is packed full of travelers who've come from afar and animals have been bedded down all over the place in every usable space. And the smells, my goodness, the smells of smoking fires and lamps burning oil and manure. Lots of manure. <clears throat> it's very Middle Eastern. It's very rural. It's very ancient. Luke leads us to this one place, a place where animals are kept. And we're, we can't fully make out if it's a barn or a cave or a pasture or maybe even the bottom floor of a Jewish home, which was commonly used for housing animals. Here's a picture of what might be a typical Palestinian home in the first century. Not all of them, but probably a lot of them. A two-level mud brick home covered in clay and straw with a thatch roof with a loft as the primary residence. You could call that the upper floor. It's where they get the room, the name upper room from. And that's where the family would reside. And almost always, if possible, they would have in that, on that level, that loft, a guest room. Because Jewish families were taught from the very beginning to offer hospitality. 
When Luke says there was no room for them in the inn, the Greek word for inn is describing more of a guest room than it is a hotel. But whether it was a stable or a cave or a dirt floor of a mud brick house, the place Luke takes us is among animals, a lot of animals. And that's surprising when we realize just what has taken place there. We see a young peasant girl with dark black hair asleep on a hard, cold ground, wrapped in a dirty blanket, huddled in front of a small fire, and a man with her who's holding her head in his lap, trying to make her as comfortable as possible. And beside them is a a wooden feeding trough, something animals use to eat out of. And in it is a sleeping newborn child, swaddled tightly in any cloth that they could gather. And it confirms to us just how difficult this evening has really been. This young peasant girl has just given birth to a baby. It's hauntingly familiar, mother, child, but it's not quite as tranquil or sterile as our romanticized views of nativity scenes that we've seen growing up. It's earthy and it's raw. It's cold and dirty and stark. It's meager and unaccommodating. And while the night may be silent now, it wasn't silent a few hours ago when she was pushing in labor. And Mary doesn't have a halo over her head. She probably has straw hung up in her hair. And there's no heavenly glow coming from that child, despite what pictures might indicate. And there is nothing to suggest of the mystery of who he really is. It's eerily similar to what the prophet Isaiah had said. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. John, the writer of another gospel, puts it this way in John 1 verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. What a travesty. If this is the true Christmas scene that the gospel writers paint for us, it's quite a bit different than the usual warm and cozy feelings we have around this season. It feels more like a homeless shelter than a nativity scene. It feels more like something you'd find under a bridge than under our Christmas tree. As John Bloom goes on to write, our visceral response is pity and sadness. This poor girl and her baby, 
We know this story, but as we see it as it really was, it seems so wrong. Our impulse is to do something to help them. If we were really in that moment with the ghost from Christmas past, we would be saying, do something for them. Why won't they do something for them? Why does it have to be so stark and lowly? And all Luke would say, because there was no place for them in the end. It's the only context we get for why they are where they are. Because there was no place for them in the guest room. In the inn. There was no spot. There was no place made for them. Seems impossible to us now. No place but a stable or a cave or, the, or at best the dirt floor of a mud brick house house no place but those things to receive the promised one no place but a wooden manger to cradle the creator of the universe surely surely they could find a better place than that surely they have a better place for him somewhere If we're having this truly Scrooge moment, which I realize we don't, but if we did, this would be the moment where we'd find ourselves whisked back to our normal lives, back where Luke found us originally, with all the gifts still to buy, all the cookies still to bake, all the parties still to attend, all the presents still to wrap. But the scene of this homeless mother and child, is seared into our memory. And while we sneer at Bethlehem for having no place for them, it's more appropriate to ask ourselves, do we? Do we have space for him? Do we make room for him? Have we prepared a place for him in our hearts, in our lives, in the recesses of our thinking, in our schedules, in our children, in our workplaces, with our future? Is there any room for him in those places? It's one of the favorite lines of the song that we will sing in a few weeks, Joy to the World. We've already referred to it in the videos, which I thought Priscilla and Ellen did a great job. Joy to the world. And that one line, let every heart prepare him room. Love that line. To prepare means, as Donna already alluded to, to establish, to fix, to apply, to set the stage. It's a deliberate effort Over a prolonged period, it's not just a one-time happening. Peter gives us insight, and Ellen alluded to it in 1 Peter 1, verse 13, when he writes, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope 
on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Preparing your minds for action. The more true, accurate interpretation and translation of that is gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that's not language that we commonly use these days. You know, that's not something you want to say to the guy at the gym. Gird up your loins for action. Just doesn't feel like it would fit. You know, it's not something we say to each other as we're stretch, you know, going out to exercise or whatever, but that's what they had to do. They were girding up. It seems a little risque to us, but it's actually something very practical to them. Men wore long flowing robes and that wasn't feminine. (laughs) That was very masculine. And if they had to move fast or make progress or strenuously work, they would shorten their robe by pulling it up and tucking it into their belt. Maybe the equivalent for us would be roll up your sleeves, take off your jacket, get ready for something, gird up the loins of your mind, get ready. But Peter also says to set our hope on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I love that our hope is not in ourselves, It's always in him. And while this is certainly talking about the second appearing, the advent that we look forward to one day, I also think that it is possible for us to receive grace every time Jesus is revealed in our midst. Every time he is revealed in our lives, every time that he is revealed in our circumstances, we can see his grace revealed and that should give us hope. Like so much of scripture, this preparing, this preparing is an act of obedience. And obedience costs us something. (laughs) It costs. So many people want a Christianity that doesn't cost. It costs him everything for us to be saved. And our obedience means we must lay down our lives and also pick up our cross and deny ourselves in order to follow him. The prize of our obedience will be greater revelation and greater purpose and even greater reward. But preparing him room is probably best described by clearing out a space, just making room. As my wife would call it, decluttering. It's a ritual in our home. We do it a lot. She does it a lot. I still have a lot of clutter. And her closet looks great and mine, cluttery. She loves decluttering. I accuse her of decluttering things that I'd like to clutter. She doesn't seem to care. Removing all the unnecessary stuff and hauling it off to goodwill or to the dump. But that was good stuff. (laughs) My wife would say to you, if you do it right, you have to start in the places that no one else would see. You have to start in the closets and in the attic and in the garage 
and in the basement and in all those cabinets that are far removed from everybody. Because if you're only cleaning the places people will see, it's really not clean. And all the women said, amen. (laughs) I know Kathy Johnson believes this. And it doesn't count if you just move stuff from one place to the other. Like your kids do when you ask them to clean their room. And you go in there and it looks clean, but you open the closet door and there's an avalanche of stuff coming out at you. All that stuff used to be all over their floor and now it's just been shoved into a closet. That doesn't count. That's not making room. Preparing him room means an honest evaluation of all the clutter that's in our lives, all the debris that we've collected, all the stuff we pick up along the way. And we can't just move stuff around from one place to another and think that's good enough. It's time to get rid of it. It's time to be free of it. It's, to, it's time to, to no longer be captive to it. And all of that comes with this cycle of confession and repentance and forgiveness and discipleship. And all of that leads to a great result of restoration and renewal and greater purpose. Something else to remember when we are preparing him room is that it's not a one-time act. It's a perpetual, perpetual motion machine. It is an ongoing process. Because no matter how severe we've been in cleaning out all our stuff today, we're very prone to accumulate more tomorrow. And it requires us to be shedding that which does not do us good. To declutter, to prepare, and be fierce in preparing room for him. One other thing I would say is we need to remember that while we're the ones who prepare the place, he's the one who fills it. We may be the ones preparing the way, but he is the way. And so in that, we understand that we have a role and he has a role. We are to always be preparing Because he is the one who is always coming. And so, here in the middle of another Advent season with all the possible trimmings and trappings and traditions, we need to call to mind the only detail the Holy Spirit actually gives us about the actual birth of Jesus. And that is that Mary had to lay him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. It is no less ironic that Jesus can stand on the periphery of our busy lives than it was that he, the son of David, lay in a manger on the periphery of the city of David. He still comes. Have you made a place for him? Have you prepared for him room? 
Are you willing to let him touch every spot in your heart? Every room. He's a king that deserves all of it. More than a manger, he belongs on the throne of your heart. Will you make a way? Prepare the way of the Lord. And in this Advent season, may we all be those who prepare him room. Let us make sure to prepare him the place that is central to our lives and that drives our purpose. Amen. Donna's going to come and we're going to pray for you after she shares her thoughts. There's a quote by A.W. Tozer that says, In every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne until he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Sometimes we want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. No cross for us, no dethronement, no dying. We remain king of our own pitiful kingdom with pride. Lord, help us. And my prayer for us today, for myself first, and then for us, is that I would follow the Holy Spirit in recognizing the cross versus the throne. And that in every place he prompts me that I would choose the cross and not the throne. Yes. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for how consistently and kindly you lay the choice of life over death in front of us. How you long for us to join you in the good news to the world And in your rightness, you apply the sword of truth to our hearts and our minds and our lives. Yes, God. Making us worthy to bear your name and spread the truth of the gospel. Yes, Lord. Father, thank you for this season of Advent that comes every year to remind us of all that you've promised and the part we have to engage in it. I ask, Lord, that by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you would come to each heart, each longing heart, and you would tell us the truth about you and about ourselves, that we would willingly step down from our self-imposed throne And we would pick up our cross and follow you, acknowledging that there is only one king, there is only one God. Lord, we come to you today, as Donna has has helped us see, recognizing that there's really only two places for us to be. 
either on the cross or sitting on our throne. And I recognize, Lord, that so oftentimes we go through such a busy pattern of life that we don't really stop and make you the priority. We don't let you in. We don't make room for you. You're like an ornament or something that we add to our life, but you're supposed to be at the center of everything. For the follower of Jesus, Jesus is all. He is all in all. There is no other. Forgive us, O God, where we have made ourselves and our trinkets and our agendas and our, our, our comforts the priority when you and your kingdom is the priority. Lord, don't let this moment stop and go by without us doing business with you that allows for confession and repentance and forgiveness and restoration. Lord, I pray for everyone that's here today and those that may be listening that this message, the Spirit is bringing conviction in their heart, speaking to them, drawing them to a place to say, will you make room for me today? Will you prepare for me room? I pray, Lord, that they will respond to you by the help of the Holy Spirit and that there will be clarity and freedom and there will be liberty brought to them and there will be a newness of life and there will be great rejoicing and hope hope in the revelation of Jesus Christ the grace that comes by him I pray for us as a community Lord that we will be people that are different right here in this place in this county that people, when they see us, will notice something different. And it will have been that we have made room. We have prepared for him room. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together? We're going to sing a song. And leaders will be here at the front, home group leaders, elders that we can pray for you. If you're in need of prayer this morning, please respond to the Lord. Prepare him room. It's such a good word to leave on this week, this whole week, opportunity to either be preparing or to be hiding. Prepare him room. I encourage you this week to spend some time reflecting upon your life and where he has place in it. Is it down the list or is it at the top spot? That's where he belongs, is on the throne of your life. As we're dismissed this morning, encourage anyone that is still wanting to have prayer. And I know some of y'all like to wait till we dismiss, which is okay. But these leaders will be happy to pray with you. God bless you, go and prepare for him room in Jesus' name, amen.